the Outline World Dispatch. I'm Aaron Edwards. Let's get right into it. Culture. She's going to do the arms. She's going to do the arms. I kept repeating this to myself as I sat with this like half-eaten bag of Cheetos in my bedroom, and I was glued to a CBS live stream of Patti LuPone performing Don't Cry From Your Argentina at the Grammys. She's going to do it. Oh, shit, it's about to happen. Oh, my God. Ah! (laughs) (laughs) The arms were the climax of the song when Lapone, who's embodying Eva Perone, would lift her arms over her people as those iconic chords flourished from the orchestra behind her. And the hands signify a declaration of divadom, this regal pronouncement of I'm here, so are you, but more importantly, me. I knew they were coming, and I knew how much I needed them. There are these moments in live performance that, though they're infinitely repeated, have an indelible power, and none of them land quite like those created by legends like Lapone. There's this gorgeous ephemerality to witnessing them. They exist for a moment, and they're often never captured by a camera, but you should never try this with Lapone. If you're going to one of her live performances, she will cut you. Um, But sometimes they end up on television, and they are gorgeous, like Patti Lapone singing Don't Cry From Argentina at the Grammys in 2018. How does this happen? It's incredible. So last week, for instance, I saw Bernadette Peters in the current revival of Hello, Dolly! on Broadway. And there's this moment in the titular song, Hello, Dolly!, where she brushes her gown and she fans out her arms and she struts across the stage, ensemble dancers all in tow doing the same thing along with her. And it traces all the way back to Carol Channing, who originated the role, and that same strut. And when I was in the audience, I imagined everything that Peters had done, every accolade she had ever achieved, every tribulation she's helped someone in her life through. uh, And it all kind of swelled into this strut. It was almost like she said, you can applaud. You can just let it all out. And it was a moment that I needed. It was tailor-made for applause and it had this institutional weight to it that carries the context of a full life. It's not unlike Lapone extending her arms out for the umpteenth time to an audience of people just waiting to clap for her. In a time where nostalgia has been freshly coded and co-opted as honestly a fond remembrance of evil, these moments are markers of our capacity for universality and ultimately joy that repeats and repeats and repeats. And to me, they're worth cherishing. (laughs) Culture. Let me know when you're set, James. Yeah, we're all set if everybody can hear each other. Oh, I'm going to ask you something real quick. If you could pronounce your name for me so I don't get it wrong. (laughs) No, thank you. I appreciate that. It's uh, Anshuman. Anshuman Idamsedi is an audio producer and essayist. And also just like pronouns. He is fine, thank you. I guess the, the first question I have for you is, 
when was the first time that you saw a, a fat body in a video game? Oh gosh. I have to say, going back to, I guess, my teens, when I had an old Sega Genesis, and it was one of those early brawler games, it was quickly clear that, oh, this was a fat character, oh, it's someone I should destroy. Not just because of, you know, the size of the character on screen, but you know, some of its attributes, right? Like, I think the character was farting, even back then. Like, the character may have been picking its nose, too. So I already had not just this indication that, yeah, it's a fat character in a video game, you know, deal with it. But this is what a fat character is supposed to be like. What did that feel like to you when you when you first saw that? Well, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, I was quite young when, you know, I first encountered this sort of uh, mode of representation. And as with all things, you sort of just accept it even though i looked a lot like that and uh, now looking back however you know kind of it's appalling how ingrained certain kind of ideas of fatness were for me because i mean like i was 11 12 if that and here is a representation really persuasive a super compelling representation of what someone like me would look like tell me about Alyssa preston Alyssa Preston is a TV and stage actor. She was one of the actors uh, hired to be motion captured for Wolfenstein II, the new Colossus. Look like a vision out of Dante's Inferno. Monsters did this. Alyssa is a a total veteran, a complete G. Uh, What I found extraordinary was that she was also a, a larger person. This game, Wolfenstein 2, has a a fat character, which stood out to me because this rarely happens, Um, a fat character with uh, an amazing role to play. plays a character named Sigrun Engel, who is the daughter of Wolfenstein II's uh, main antagonist, uh, this insane Nazi named Frau Engel. She is inhumane, despicable, like the person you have to eventually take out in the course of the game. She's fat. She does not know how to uh, conduct herself in the military. And uh, super early on in the game, there's this harrowing scene, which is sort of like the nuclear option or like the worst case scenario for anyone who's grown up fat. Uh, and it's her mother like absolutely tearing into her, uh, hurling all this physical abuse at Sigrun uh, about her weight. And about her inability to curb her eating, about her sexual fantasies. Like, you know, if you're a fat person and if you've ever grown up in a family situation or if you've ever had a partner who's abusive, um, that moment is harrowing. And it's also important to the overall story arc and like the major themes of the game because what you witness is similar to what your protagonist, the person you were actually supposed to play, who's this beautiful, tall, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, uh, Caucasian character. And I was curious to know um, 
Alyssa of her experiences, what she thought about being someone very green to prestige video game development, what you would call triple A development. What she told me was that like every aspect of her character, whatever we see on screen, was carefully prescribed, right down to her movements, her arc. This was all carefully prescribed. When game developers are approaching characters like Sigrun or any other character in games you've seen over the years, what do you think is their mindset when they're approaching building these characters? And, you know, what are they working off of and what are they trying to to convey to people who are playing it? That's a great question. There is a mechanical issue that needs to be addressed. Well, we want to increase the threat or increase the challenge for a, a game player. Okay, what's the best way to do that? And then usually from that mechanical need, there is a sense of, okay, well, let's see how we can fold this in narratively. But more often than not, and you see this all the time, fatness is more of, okay, we have this mechanical issue of we need to create something, an escalation of threat. Oh, let's make this character fat. Suddenly, because of the demands of fidelity, because of the demands of a more sophisticated or presumed sophisticated um, audience, you see a lot of effort being put into, well, okay, if this character's fat, well, okay, this character has to fart for some reason. Uh, This character has to pick his nose for some reason. Uh, We have to name all the attacks or moves or whatever this fat character is supposed to do after food. And this happens time and time and time again. The thing that I, at least that I've seen, like when I was a kid playing games is that by default, the character that you are playing, that the main character in a game is not um, like a larger character. So whenever that character encounters another body that's not like theirs, there has to be some sort of gimmick to it. Like, I guess my question for you in, in that vein is, what does a, a good world look like in which these characters actually are portrayed in ways that are meaningful or help a story and do not fall into these, you know, limited tropes that, that you've talked about? Um, we can start including fat characters where the fact of their size or their weight has no bearing on the game's mechanical uh, aspects. Uh, where you can have a fat character and they're not blocking your path or they're not something you have to um, attack or do away with or seduce. Because the implicit comedy behind that is, oh, look at this boisterous, decadent a uh, very large character. Isn't it funny that I have to seduce them? Isn't there something tongue-in-cheek, ha-ha, isn't there an in-joke? Um, if you had fat characters who had who just existed but had nothing to do with their weight, like um, I think it's one of the Pokemon games, uh, one of the more recent ones, where there's a fat character who just wants, is a Pokemon trainer, but um, they just want to be a great dancer when they grow up. That's amazing. And, and to be clear, like I talk about the fat body, but we could, you know, sub in discussions about any marginalized body. There's this weird set of expectations that almost come back uh, or come from like a Victorian era of thinking about bodies that keeps getting replicated in these games. Do you think that that is an assumption on the part of the developers? I mean, not to put too much into into their mouths, into their their brains, that actually. Um, speaking directly to them here. These are ultimately gigantic 
productions that have huge budgets behind them, you cannot spend those poorly, or you can't be seen as spending them in a less than efficient manner, right? I mean, this is all based on the tyranny of project management. So if you have these giant publishers who have made insane amounts of money in the last over the last decade, pretty much staying the course, never once really thinking about representation or bodies uh, and the politics thereof, uh, outside of like a very thin sort of, we've done this, we have like one black character, we have the token woman, aren't you happy? Let's continue on. Um, I think that all filters down. Like that sort of logic, that sort of thinking and put against the pressures of, well, we need to get this game done by this quarter so the marketing team can start doing their thing. And then here are these major conventions and expos where we have to demo this so we can hit this November launch date next year. It's so easy then to think, okay, whatever the project management timeline says, let's do. So I don't lay the fault in any one developer as dumb as it does sound to not give you know the contemporary video game audience more credit about you know how we approach bodies and think of bodies i think it's the whole project of AAA development and i could lay the same claim to like a netflix special or uh, an amazing new york times bestseller we have to understand that this is a gigantic entertainment industry that will never change unless there is a financial reason to or if outrage threatens to replace their brand this is 2018. Why are we still thinking about bodies uh, that way? Anshuman Idamseti is an audio producer and essayist. Thanks, Anshuman. No problem. Thank you. Today you heard from Anshuman Idamseti and yours truly. If you want to read our stories, including images from games Anshuman mentioned and some delightful Patti LaPone gifts, head to theoutline.com. The World Dispatch is produced by James T. Green. You can get new episodes automatically sent to your device every Monday through Thursday by hitting subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. If you use another podcast player, just search The Outline World Dispatch and hit subscribe. Also, if you have Google Home, just ask it to play the news. And while you're at it, if you have a friend or a special life person that loves weird stories, tell them about the dispatch. If you're on Twitter, we're at Outline Dispatch. Hope you have a great Friday. Just kidding, it's Wednesday. But you're almost there, and I believe in you. I'm Aaron Edwards. Take care. We'll be back tomorrow. <laughs>